Hi, this is Steve Lee from SF Academy, and welcome to the Get Known Podcast, where we interview journalists and other influencers to get into their heads on how they choose and write the stories that matter. To give you a little background, we started this podcast because we speak with journalists every day, and so much of what they have to say can help companies looking to do better media relations and PR. So if you understand how they do their jobs every day, you can stop wasting their time and your time when you reach out to them. So we started to ask them and have them tell us about their work and their media so we could then share it with the people we help every day in our work. This week, we caught up with two journalists working in the world of magazine journalism and publishing. These are the kinds of magazines that come out monthly or quarterly and usually there's not a news element but rather an interesting story element to what they're doing. These are really interesting and challenging things to write for because of course we have to always remain relevant in what's going on. So usually these things are reporting on interesting people, ongoing trends, and the types of things that are not time sensitive. So let's get right into the interview. John is uh, our host today. John, take it away. When you think about journalists and journalism, you kind of have to think of it like, you know, doctors from the medical profession. There's loads of different specialties. They work in a variety of different ways in different places. And you have to make sure that you get in touch with the right one if you want the right results at the end. Here today with us, we're going to be talking to someone who actually writes for Blue Wings, one of the main in-flight magazines in, on thin air, and also someone who's got a very long history in variety of forms of journalism, but actually right now is the founder of Co-Founder Magazine. Let's see what they have to say. So my name is Katya Panzar. I work as a writer, editor, um, broadcast journalist, uh, book author, and sometimes moderator for events here in Helsinki do this mainly for English language media. Um, I grew up in Canada and have lived in the UK and New Zealand and I'm currently based in Helsinki. Hi, I'm Tarmo Virki. I was born in Estonia, have done a long career in journalism in Finland, working for outlets like Reuters and a lot of newspapers. Uh, uh, four years ago launched a co-founder magazine to cover European startup scene and about a year ago launched our own uh, drinks brand on the island of Saarema. You both have worked in a quite a large variety of different journalism settings and of course different uh, industries should we say in the media landscape have different life cycles in terms of how quickly you do your stories how how much information you need how much lead time um, so when it actually comes to those uh, different uh, publications that you've worked for can you give me a bit of a feel for what would be the best approach for a business or a company or someone looking to get the story published, how they should actually come to you and actually present that information in a way that makes your job easier? As co-founder is a quarterly, we don't care about news. Uh, we really, you know, if people are coming with a pitch that we raised new money or we have some news to share, I usually just tell them we are not interested. I mean, it's a quarterly magazine, so we want to tell stories. If you have a beautiful story, how your company was founded or what you are doing, something really special, then it starts to make sense for us. Most media is, of course, different. You know, for 10 years at Reuters, 
we were covering big news. Then, of course, a Finnish startup raising 1 million euros just made, you know, never a news item. And then the lead times are much faster and uh, the differences are quite huge. I mean, with a magazine, we're sometimes doing a story for the issue, which is, you know, being published six months from today. So it has to be not timely, otherwise it would make no sense. And with the long cycle, of course, if the stories are not timely, the, the kind of life cycle of the magazine is also very long. It can be around for two years in some office table like yours. So I think the differences are big. I've just come back to freelancing and uh, contribute a variety of places, both in Finland and abroad. But I just spent an intense six months working on a book uh, about Sisu and well-being and the Finnish way of life. It's got you know everything from ice swimming to sauna uh, to a variety of other topics. And I notice whether it's working on the book or the other places that I contribute to fairly regularly, there's a lot of emphasis on people, they have a product that they want to place. And very rarely is there a product. If, if, if there's no story, then there really is no peace. Um, is this a product that's going to change people's lives? Is it sustainable? Is it going to, is it the first in its field? Is it going to do something different? Um, and this I often find is missing. People will pitch. It's, it might be a great product. It might be wonderful, but it's completely missing the story. And there's reams and reams of information about the specs, but there's no human interest. There's no, how is this going to affect you or change your life? And I think that's the main thing that even in a news story for a news outlet, people are looking for, um, of course, the daily news is less likely to pick up a product per se, you know, unless it's part of a trend. You know, three people have just invented something that is going to change your well-being completely. But the story and the significance, the human interest, that is often missing. And a product is just a product. Okay, so we live in Finland where people aren't necessarily the most comfortable and loquacious storytellers on the planet. They don't necessarily like talking about themselves. Yet I'm sure that in your experience you've come across some you know, good examples of you know, Finnish or other businesses or other companies that have really told you a good story in a, in a cool way. I was wondering if you could share those with me. I would say, for example, in doing the book, I try to be very careful about not putting in too many brand names or plugging anybody and only doing it when it was necessary or, or you know, there was a really valid point to be made about a company that had built up a sustainable brand or really changed the playing field, whether it was in design or in um, winter swimming, you know, interviewing an expert. Uh, many people tried to pitch their products to me, like that they have a, a special cold shower or some kind of a device that gives the same health benefits that winter swimming does, which you know sets off all the endorphins and makes you feel really great after you come out. Um, I would say, am I allowed to use an example from this office? For sure. I would say that Stephen was actually very convincing and we went for lunch a few weeks ago and it was the, the Aura Ring, mm. which it was very good timing because it happened to be the day that it had just won the Red Dot Award. And of course, when there's a news angle, like an award, a significant international award or something, that is a huge boost. Uh, but also, there were properties in the ring that it's not something that's available elsewhere or that you know there are 500 similar products. And it linked into well-being and into a whole bunch of different 
topics. Uh, and then the other was this pro vocalis, which I felt, okay, this is interesting because this is in internationally interesting. It has applications beyond just Finland, but it's also very much tapping into um, the trend. You know, people want to know where their food is coming from, how it's made. All of these questions were addressed. And that was very rare that somebody, I've known Stephen for a long time and he's a good friend, but that I would go for lunch with somebody and then they would um, give me ideas, pitch something, and then I would actually be interested. And so that was a very good example of, there was story, there was, there was actual scientific data, there, there were well-being, there was a whole bunch of different factors that sold the product to me. But interesting you were mostly talking about the features of the product uh, while for me the you know people and the story of the people is much 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 more interesting than any features I'm, I've also met the older people for example but I can't remember anything about their story how on earth did they come up with that and with a protocol is the same thing I saw something interesting yeah. in the features yeah but what's the story behind what's the logic I have no idea Okay, well, I met the people behind mm. Prolocalis, you know, the, the small producers and, and the chef. And I happened to know about Aura because I had done a TV story before they had actually launched. So I knew that there was a, a people story there as well. And it ended up being a fairly short piece. I think the Finnish example on the kind of the great story which lives beyond any product is probably Kuro. I mean, the guys in the sauna, I mean, what else do you need to have a Finnish story, right? Yeah, so the human element is really important in these sorts of stories, you know, keeping the human focus. I was wondering if you could share some examples of cool stories which have that real cool human element in which have grabbed you recently. I haven't written anything recently. <laughs> I, I would I have to say I'm so much yeah. in book mode that I'm yeah. being, I mean, I just got a good review in Vogue.com. I was yesterday with Stern, the large German. Uh, there was a piece earlier in the year in the Daily Mail. Um, so I have to say that it, because I've, I've been kind of out of the freelance world and working on the book, uh, so the story is within the book, because I did interview about 20 different people, experts on everything from ice water swimming to you know the health benefits of the sauna, the Nordic diet, um, functional exercise. Um, so those stories seem to have resonated with journalists and with the feedback that I get from readers. Yeah, I suppose writing a book is kind of like an extremely extended piece of investigative journalism. And I suppose there must have been some good lessons there for you and for others who, who have gone through that process, because you have to have the relevancy, you have to have the cred credibility as well. Yeah, definitely, that the, 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 the relevance, uh, but also that there are facts and background. And I'm not sure if it's a good example, but in this case, um, there were a lot of things that worked in my favor, the timing, people were very interested in Finland um, because of the international rankings that it has placed very highly in over many years, not just this most recent one about world's happiest people or nation, which we can talk about. <laughs> um, I think that's not um, related to this topic. <laughs> yeah, not related to this topic maybe, but nevertheless that mm. is one of the news pegs that mm. had people coming and wanting to talk. Oh to of, me, journalists from, from yeah. So again, I mean, that's a good example of when there's something newsworthy that is not always directly related, but mm. somehow links in. Um, but I would say that the, yeah, that this, the stories, the, the interest in Finland um, 
and following, you know, the, the Lucke and the Lagom and the mm. Hygge and all of these. All typical Finnish words, right? <laughs> exactly. But the idea also that there are certain buzzwords that, you know, sustainability, um, you know, all of these different things that it, if you're able to tap into several trends. Mm. No, I totally agree that yeah. the, you know, it has to be newsworthy. Yeah. And that, like, or it has to have a news hook or peg or whatever you call yeah. it in English. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless. Yeah. There are yeah. so many startups pitching, like, the release of their new product, the release of 18 of the release number 18 of the new product. Yeah. I mean, as a journalist, what do you do with it? Absolutely yeah. nothing. So yeah, you're not salespeople, you're not marketing, you're not helping others uh, sell their products. You're journalists, you're after factual representations that you can report. As a journalist, yes. I mean, if you hear the marketing pitch, you will delete it, right? If you can see through the marketing pitch that there's actually a real story which is linked to that marketing pitch, then it, it might start to make sense. I think I do such a variety of different things that, I mean, I can't call myself purely a journalist. Um, but I work as a journalist in looking for the story in whatever I'm doing in terms of, yes, let's go beyond the, the, the marketing, the, the fluff and exactly. find the real story and what, what interests people and how is this different or life-changing or newsworthy or... Often the advice that I give to the people is that try to picture yourself in the role of the reader. If I would be writing about your release number 18, would you actually read that story in the newspaper? Would it make any sense to you? So yeah, we've covered a few of the key points about actually, you know, creating that good story. Uh, but something that we haven't really talked about is, is this timing factor as well. I think there's a tendency here in Finland for people to sit on the story because they don't think it's quite ready yet and they might actually miss the boat. Someone else might actually get out ahead of them. Um, do you have like um, any thoughts for people who may be working on something they don't think is quite ready yet, but they don't actually have any existing relationship with media? And the good practice is go and start to speak with the journalists, not to pitch their story, but to speak with them. Mm -hmm. I think one of the really nice examples, one Estonian guy who's building some education startup, I don't remember even what his, the name of the startup was, but a few years ago he contacted me. He was still in a, probably closing his pre-seed round or something, very, very early in the development. And just asking for advice, could we go for a coffee? You know, I need to straighten a little bit uh, to understand what could be interesting for you, you or the other news media. So we had coffee and I think we have met a few times since. And you know, I've been in the loop how they are going. If there is a story to be told to my audience, you know, it's easy for me to do it. And for him, the benefit, of course, that it's easier for him also to sell, tell his story to the other medias. I would very much agree. And I would say the example I used earlier of Stephen, of course, when he said, let's go for lunch, I have some ideas, you know, as a friend, I was like, of course. And I, well, I had no anticipation that I would actually write about anything that he would pitch me. I thought, oh, he'll have some ideas and, you know, whatever. Um, so it was that building of that relationship that we have had um, and over the years in various, you know, capacities in, in because I've worked in different places and he's worked in different places. Um, but exactly, I think what you said is, is kind of building the relationship, but also explaining how it works, because I think a lot of people don't understand how the media works, you know, and it's like, it's kind of a mystery to them. You know, mm. it's like some, you just throw press releases and products, and then you just hope one of them sticks and gets a story. And that's not the way that it works at all. You actually alienate if you send too many long press releases that have no relevance 
to the writer or their, their specific area. But I would also say, sorry, if I can, about the humbleness, I think that that is, is one really big thing. I just had a story meeting today, again, with somebody, a Finn, who had lived abroad and really understood that there are just so many stories that are not being told because Finns think, oh, well, it's, this is nothing special, or this is just this, and that humbleness can really work to their detriment and to this is easy for me to say, having grown up in North America, but to try to take a slightly more North American or international approach, which is, hey, we've got something great here, and let's go and meet people and tell them about it and, and go from there, rather than the other way of waiting, you know, till it's absolutely ready. Because Aura, I was interested in because I had already interviewed them when they didn't have a product or they were just in the initial stages. And that was news because it what didn't exist yet and we wanted to be the first to tell people that these kinds of there were several well-being or wellness rings that were used we didn't do one product but there, there is a, everything is it's kind of totally cool to stay to your roots and you know being that humble person but just tell a little bit more about yourself tell a little bit more about yourself and i think also that, that sort of confidence of you know, there are, and this is something hard to do if you say you've lived in Finland all your life, so you may not see what things are exotic here compared to the rest of the world. Um, but to try to have that confidence to go out there and to build those relationships and, and not be mm. so humble. Uh, example from the relationship uh, building. Looking, looking back at the career longer, one of the most influential stories probably what I did was in about 10 years ago, I think early 2008 or 9, uh, when uh, there was an IT analyst with whom I was speaking like on a monthly basis for years, I think. And in one of the talks, she was saying something like, we were talking about the Nokia, and she said something like that, uh, Olivekka Kallas voice, the dead man walking. And as a you know, tech reporter covering Nokia and Finland, I was like, golden quote, there must be a story. So I started to digging around that story, and we ran a big piece about uh, Kallas Vaux being the dead man walking roughly at the time when Olila started to look for his uh, follower in that spring. And all the, of course, all the other media followed during the weeks after that. Yeah, so all this, you know, waiting around, being scared uh, to contact people, people should just actually get in touch with you, right? Very much so. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Mm. And, I not, mean, yeah, and not being afraid. That, that's also part of it. Sometimes people are really afraid that if I say something and they will report on it and, oh my God, what will yeah, happen? Yeah. I mean, usually if you said something wrong, they will not report on it. Journalists are, you know, humans. They will not go and try to backstab you on every moment. I mean, there are surely some weird medias in the world. I wouldn't speak for all journalists yeah. of the world. But in general, the professional people are professionals. Yeah, and I agree, I agree with that. Mm. There's that perception that every word that comes out of your mouth is somehow going to end up in print or, you know, social media or whatever. And that's not the case. Um, but yeah, I have... There have been people over the years who have just kept contact and, you know, we go for coffee every now and then and, and it is relationship building um, and it is some kind of a, there has to be some common ground, of course. I mean, if it's a tech reporter, you know, you're not going to be 
trying to build a relationship with somebody who, who does something, you know, completely not related to that. Yeah, so it's become pretty clear to me, uh, you know, especially recently, that there is no mechanical XYZ process for, you know, getting into the news, do A plus B plus C works 100% of the time with everybody. There is that randomness, there is the human element, there is this, uh, you know, sort of organic randomness to it. And the only way really to be sure uh, what will work is by picking up the phone, sending that email and actually speaking to someone, right? And I think probably most journalists would hate me for saying this, but um, a news desk does not get that many phone calls anymore. Everything is email. And I have been surprised sometimes with phone calls. They have not always led to stories, but somebody has phoned either a, a news desk that I've been working on or me personally and uh, said, you know, I would really like for you to come to my launch or I would like to tell you about what I'm doing or whatever. And in this day and age where phone calls are quite rare, that is something, you know, if you can think of a way out of the box, something that's going to set you apart or you're going to do something that goes beyond the norm, because how many emails do we each get every day? And how easy it is to ignore all of them. It is, and, and especially if somebody bombards you with emails that you've already realized they're not relevant to, your, to the area that you cover. You know, you see it and you don't even open it. So I think that, again, in this social media era where a lot of people are actually quite disconnected from each other, I mean, on a human face-to-face -face mm. level, something as simple as a phone call can be a surprise. Or a written invite to your launch. Uh, Latvian VC firm sent a pack of cards for their launch. I still yeah. don't know what they are, but I noticed them. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. If I get a text message, I... I can't be bothered to write anyway, so to be honest, I'm thinking call. I'll call you or you'll call me, right? But yeah, yeah. to try to think slightly out of the box. And, and also for that personal, you know, because a lot of the press releases that we get, we mm. know went to thousands of people. Yeah, you know, go for a coffee, meet them, say, hey, remember when we talked about this last month, that sort of thing. Or, you know, dear so-and-so, I love the piece that you wrote about X, Y, and Z. And I really feel like there's some common ground here. You know, could I send you our product or could I tell you our story or could I meet with you? Yeah, sometimes those kind of partly personalized things, of course, turn out really funny. I remember last year somebody was sending me a pitch for a co-founder that I would really like to end up in New York Times. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. having a good laugh, yeah. sharing that on social media, of course. Yes. You get those too where somebody's obviously sent a hundred emails to different publications and um, yeah. I'm trying not to laugh with you guys. It is actually funny. Yes, it too. is. And it is, it's, and it's the same if somebody misspells your name really badly or, you know, addresses you by your, your surname or something, you know, and it's like, well, obviously they spent a lot of time on this. Or they address you by name correctly, but the publication is your competitor. Yeah, exactly. If somebody would try, be able to send you a fax, you would notice. I mean, you, I think you can still send telegrams in some countries. Yeah, I don't think there's been any point in history where press release has been taken at face value and printed straight off. I mean, I know you guys all want to do a little bit of digging. You want to do your background checks. You want to make sure that the information is correct or if there is actually a different story in there that you want to uncover. Um, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your, both of your own p personal preferences for your processes for actually, uh, you know, getting the story 
from the press release, from from the pitching point all the way then into you know into print. I mean, in the newswire, sometimes press releases do work. Of course, the I remember covering a lot of news releases, cutting out the crap and leaving the three or four sentences which make sense, and adding some context to it and publishing the story in a few minutes. I mean, that's part of their life still, but that's also kind of to some extent being outsourced to bots these days. Um, I think for the news releases, the key point I try to tell people is always that the journalists need a quote. Often they need a quote from that release. And if every quote you put in there is covered with a marketing fluff, mm. it's really easy to delete the whole story. One simple advice. Yeah, a good powerful quote, and again one that appeals to people and how this is life-changing or a first ever or somehow groundbreaking and, and it may not be but you can you can find that right there's always some kind of an angle the, mm. the first finish eco totally biodegradable and having that in a quote is really beneficial for the journalist it kind of removes the responsibility i mean if you mm. do the story you kind of still need to prove what you write but if the guy says something i mean i don't have to check all his facts that, that's, I think that's very true. And then the other thing I would say is short and sweet. Um, it, it feels to me that a lot of people who, companies and others who send press releases uh, seem unaware of, you know, the, the, the Instagram, you know, the, the world that we live in. Give me in one sentence your pitch. What, what is it? What are you doing? What are you telling me? I, I'm not going to read five pages to try to figure out what it is and also the visual element, which is so easy to put into, whether it's your social media or however you approach. But if, let's say, for argument's sake, because we're talking about press releases that come by email, you know, that there's something there as well that immediately catches the eye, not just reams and reams of text. Yeah, Oscar Wilde said that if I had twice as much time, I would have made it half as long. You know, brevity is the king. And, you know, when we're working in, in, in the world where you have SaaS platforms for SaaS platforms for machine learning, AI, visual learning, recognition, cookery, vegan, whatever's, how, how do you form that into a simple sentence that, you know, most human beings un, un, can understand? I'm not even sure that, like, you know, the marketing department in, in the company can understand it straight away off the bat. <laughs> exactly. At least they, they are not able to explain. They might understand what they're doing, but they are not always able to explain it to their parents or grandparents. Or what's the classical phrase, right? But, but I wanted to come back, Katya, to your line about the visuals. I think that's something which is, you know, in general, so easy to sort out. And, and so many people are not doing it. They think yeah, that this yeah. five pages press release is somehow covered without any pictures. I mean, how? How could I the likelihood of you being covered is dropping sharply if there is no great visuals. One good finish example, I don't know, is, are they your clients or not, but that doesn't stop me of telling that. Hamo, the uh, chap is going to every single event with that massive O letter, and he probably gets a picture in the media every single fair he's with that big yellow O letter. It gives the photographer their perspective, the different layers, it looks nice. I mean, the guy is not the most attractive in the world, but that doesn't stop anyone. I think that's a really good point, is that having some kind of a visual, whether it's live in person or it's so easy 
to put a visual into a, into a missive, whatever your missive is, and, and especially as we live you know, in this very visually led, I mean, you just look at any social media post without a picture, and one with a picture. Ex example from the few weeks ago, the Arctic 15 event, I was wearing my uh, distillery t-shirt with a massive logo here, and I uh, walking around the fair and uh, meeting somebody later in the evening, and he was like, oh, I saw a lot of people with that uh, t-shirt at the fair, and there was just me. But the visual is good enough to be remembered, so it kind of creates the, the connections in the people's head. Yeah, sure. Look, I understand there's, you know, SaaS companies or engineering companies that do something boring like, uh, you know, fixing welds on oil tankers and it might be hard to get an image. Take a team to the oil tanker. Yeah, and actually, it's not I would that say difficult. You, you, you find something interesting, not impossible. Sharp colors, you know, couple mm. of filters if it's not quite, quite sexy colors, mm. you know, put a person but a sexy person on the wheel. Okay, that sounds sexist, but what I mean is that, that, you know, not so difficult. Just think outside of the box and think, you know, how do I make this interesting? I mean, Haymo is a kind of a SaaS platform, right? Yeah, I'd like to go back and address something that uh, we, we covered a little bit before, but, you know, these other channels of communication, you know, for example, Twitter, that's got a reputation of being a good place of maybe getting in touch with a media and journalist. So I was just wondering about, does it work for you? Do you think that it's actually a useful tool or would you still prefer to go for email? Um, this is going to reveal what a dinosaur I am. Um, basically, I, when this, all this book buzz started, I only started tweeting maybe six months ago and um, only joined Instagram a few weeks ago. Already have a couple hundred followers. Uh, same thing happened on Twitter. And, and it was basically to promote the book. And because previously, a lot of the stuff that I had done on social media, I had done under the auspices of someone else for a media organization or something. And I just didn't feel the need for me to be tweeting. But now that's different. Um, I more I at this point, and it may be just because I'm on this book circuit, I get a lot of contact people want a story from me or they want something from me and that's their way of contacting me. Um, less pitches right now, but I suspect that that will change. It's just this moment in my career with the book coming out in so many places. Um, and the same thing with Instagram. Uh, it seems like almost every day, no, I'm exaggerating, several times a week someone will send kind of a fan mail with a picture of the book cover and how it how the, how the book made them feel or what they learned or something like that so right now i'm kind of on the other side but i suspect as soon as i return even more to freelancing full-time that will sway people okay i'm going to pitch you stories yeah yeah uh, from the other side the similar example that with the distillery, we get a lot of pitches through Instagram because there's a lot of kind of the food and drinks bloggers or Instagram bloggers or whatever you call them who reach out to us through Instagram. Um, I haven't had too many story pitches, none on Instagram, few on Twitter. I've been on both platforms probably for, on Twitter for very long, of course, on Instagram, a few years at least. 
That's interesting because especially where your space is right now, you'd think that people would actually reach out to you that way. Uh, not so much. I think even Facebook messages are more pitches than Twitter. In Estonia, Facebook is used as the universal communication platform, not as a social media for private life. Yeah, because, you know, to be honest, the impression you tend to get from the media is that, you know, Twitter is the place to be. But I guess maybe that's a US centric view. I think so. And well, I think so, actually. Yeah, I think that they may very well be. And from, I mean, I was not not on Instagram and Twitter, but I was just in different organizations doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and not on my own name. And certainly there would be pitches for stories that would come in. On Instagram? Uh, not on Instagram, but on Twitter. On Twitter to yeah. some extent, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and Facebook, mm-hmm. hugely. But, but I think it's, especially Twitter is very English language focused. I mean, Twitter is not a very big thing in Estonia. It's, I don't know, in Finland maybe bigger, but not comparable to the other platforms. Okay, the Facebook Messenger thing is actually pretty interesting. It just shows that you have to sort of know what the local preferences are for, for communication channels, because it might not be the same everywhere. But yeah, thank you very much for the discussion. It's been really insightful. And, you know, the purpose of this was really to pick the brains of someone like you who wears, actually, you both wear a couple hats. You, you, you wear the hat of, you know, the journalist and the reporter, but also of the entrepreneurs. And uh, yeah, I would really hope that you've enjoyed it. And if there's anything you'd like to add, please let me know. Yeah, I think the, having the two hats is sometimes beneficial, but not always. The uh, You do know people, but uh, that's... Not, not always beneficial, like we were really str- when we launched Co-Founder Magazine, I mean, we knew all the media, but we kind of struggled to reach enough media attention when we were launching it, because I, I kind of got a feeling people didn't, didn't want to write about their friends. And I, I, I would agree that that's, a, especially in, in journalism, journalism, mm. that's like a real issue mm. uh, in terms of not fa- playing favorites and writing about friends or people you know. I mean, well, it's, it, it's an outright conflict of interest in many cases. So it can be tricky wearing both hats and and having that assumption that, oh, well, you're my friend, so of course you're going to write about this for the news. And it's like, well, A, that's not news. And B, because you're my friend, I may not be able to write about it. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think is, is um, especially if we're talking about hardcore news now, that's an issue. But I think so many things have changed if you look at the magazine world that that is not if we're not talking about a news magazine that's not the case uh, it is all about contacts and who you know and it's not that you're playing favorites but it's part of how you get a story you know okay we need somebody who who does this activity or can tell us about this or you're having coffee with a friend and they tell you you know i've heard about this crazy sport that people are doing and then it goes from there. What's the best way to wreck a relationship with a journalist? Have a drink. That's a really good question. What's the best way? Well, I, I would say I being bombarding them, bombarding them with, with um, press releases and information and... Sorry, I misunderstand the question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, was the, what's the best way to build a relationship? No, wreck. To wreck. To wreck. Yes, to wreck. Yes. Yeah. Then I would agree with you. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. But the best way to build a relationship, um, I would agree, because it's that, whether it's a drink, 
you know, or whatever yeah. lunch or whatever, but it's that relationship building and that at the end of the day, people are human beings. Yeah. And also, I would say in this day and age where so many people are kind of virtually isolated, it's actually novel to meet somebody for a chat or a coffee or a quick drink. It's, it's something really nice, you know, and especially someone that you maybe don't know. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if uh, three of your emails are unanswered, what's the likelihood that the fourth will get a positive response? I mean, if it gets a response, it will be negative. There's no way. Yeah. Well, I always have that rule if I'm trying to interview somebody or find somebody for a story. It's like after three or four tries, that, and then I don't, I don't try to contact them anymore because I think, okay, for whatever reason, they're not interested or available or... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I really do find you both very approachable and, you know, that you shouldn't be afraid to actually get out and talk to, you know, people, journalists, whatever, because nothing bad can actually happen from it. it I think that's exactly it. And there can be this notion that journalists are scary people or they're just so overly busy or they're so... And that's not the case. It's not usually the case, yes. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they are horribly busy, yeah. and then your email will be unresponded, even though it might be interesting. Yeah. So the second try next day is okay. But they're always looking for interesting stories. You always. Know? And part of that is being open to the world and to people and people's stories. They have to be, otherwise it wouldn't work. Yeah, where can we find you? Uh, where can people get in touch? What are you guys doing next? Um, oh, that's a good question. Well, just basically, uh, right now, I, well, I have my own website, uh, but right now it's basically pitching the book and I, and like Instagram. What was the book's title again? Well, this is an interesting question too. Uh, it has in every territory a different title, but the UK title was, um, this is terrible. I should have them with me. Um, I believe it's Finding Sisu in Search of Courage, Strength, and Happiness, or is it Wellness, the, the Finnish way. The Penguin Random House title out of the US, which launches in a few weeks, is called The Finnish Way. Uh, I believe it's a Finding Courage, Strength, and Happiness through the Power of Sisu. And I, unfortunately, my German is not good enough for me to try to even pronounce the German title, but almost all of the editions have the word Sisu in the title, and that is key. That, of course, is a special Finnish fortitude or resilience. Um, but just by Googling me, um, Katja Panzar, you can find my details. And um, you wanted to know what I was working on? Well, the agent would like another book, of course, which I don't have yet. Um, I recently have started doing some moderating gigs. People like to have somebody who understands the Nordic mentality but can do the North American a little bit goofy, a little bit relaxed, get everybody relaxed. Um, for I just did one in Copenhagen for Sustainable Cities as part of the Nordic Clean Energy Week. Um, do voiceovers just with this today I had a meeting about possibly writing a television pilot I, I contribute regularly to Blue Wings the in-flight magazine um, writing something for Monocle right now um, yeah if I have a story how do I get in touch with you can you can just email me um, Katya at katyapanzar.com or you can find me on Twitter 
and yeah. Excellent. Right, Tamo, your turn to plug. I'm these days mostly working with uh, two rather different projects. One is Lochentake. Uh, it's uh, written as difficult as it sounds. It uh, should be really ni nicely pronounceable for Germans because that's the German name for our, of our village in Sarema. Uh, selling gin and tonic around the world or at least around the region. And then working on you know next couple of issues of co-founder, one for Slush and hopefully one for October, focused more on space startups. Yep, and how do people get in touch with you with stories? Email or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I'm you know publicly available on all social networks. And there you have it. Uh, we have two people from different backgrounds who've had different experiences in journalism at different stages and different focuses in their careers, yet there is still that common theme there. Talk to people. Don't make assumptions. Don't force things on people. Actually engage in conversation. Find out what they need, how you can make their life easier, and use that as your basis to go forward, and you won't go too far wrong in journalism. And you can do that.